And what we've been discussing in this series uh, so far has been basically that God's ways are higher than our ways. And we want to catch on to God's vision of what he's trying to do and see things from God's perspective, not just see rules, not just think, well, maybe God will be mad at me if I do this and maybe he'll like me if I do that. But to think, okay, what is the plan? What is God up to? How do I understand what's happening? How do I catch God's vision? Because if we catch God's vision, then we'll just roll into God's plan. Amen? If we don't catch God's vision, it doesn't matter how many rules you're given, you're still not going to catch it. You're not going to get it, and you're not going to be able to effectively walk into God's plan. So we want to catch God's vision. And we're basing this series on Isaiah 55. Let's just read verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here God is speaking through Isaiah to the people and saying that his ways are higher than their ways. And we know that, right? God's ways are higher than our ways. And that's in two important aspects. I believe God's ways are higher than our ways. First, sometimes God's ways are hard to understand. Amen. Sometimes they're hard to understand. We may understand what we're told to do, but we may not understand why, the significance of it. How many people have seen in hindsight why God asked you to do something, but at the time it seemed like it wouldn't make any difference, it wouldn't matter. We often don't have the full picture. We don't understand God's ways are higher than our ways, but also God's ways are better than our ways. Can I get an amen on that one? God's ways are better than our ways. So that can put us in a bit of a problem because if God's ways are better than our ways, but we do not understand why we should do things a particular way, then we're going to resist. Or the other option would be to walk by faith. Faith is when we trust in God's ways, even when we don't understand. That's why Abraham was the father of faith because God asked him to do something ridiculous in sacrificing his son, completely outside the character of God, opposed to the promise God had given Abraham. But God wanted to know, Abraham, will you trust me when you don't understand and everything in your being seems to be saying, this is not what I should be doing, but God said so. And Abraham went ahead, tied the kid up, raises the knife, and then God stops him. Abraham walked by faith because he was willing to walk in obedience when he did not understand. And that's powerful, but we don't want to be walking in blind faith either. Because what if we misunderstand and we're walking in blind faith to a misunderstanding? I think I've seen that quite a bit where people are trying to serve God, but they're just off and they go forward anyway. Have you seen that? I'm getting a little bit of a not so sure, but I've seen it where and, and pay attention in your life. You'll look around. People will think they're serving God, but they're just missing it. 
And that can do lots of damage. And so we, we do want to get past blind faith where we're totally confused why God would want this to happen. But instead, we start to catch God's vision. And that's what Jesus describes in John chapter 15, where he's talking to his disciples. It's shortly before the crucifixion, and he's giving them kind of the last big teaching. And he says to them that, He no longer calls them servants, but he calls them friends because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but he's shared everything with them. So he calls them friends, a servant. You just tell them, you know, go mow the lawn. You don't explain why you don't tell them all the reasons. You just say, do this. And they say, okay. And they go do it. But a friend understands why. You share the deeper things with the friend. And so we want to go from merely following the rules and not having a clue as to why to really understanding why to the extent that we can. Of course, we must walk by faith because how are we going to understand God's ways completely? We're not going to, but we want to get some clue, right? We want to get some understanding of how this works. And so we've been working through that through these last weeks, and today we are going to jump into being a good and faithful servant. So let's pray, and we'll talk about being a good and faithful servant today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us down here to just wander around and do the best we can, but you guide us by your Holy Spirit, and you guide us by your holy word. Lord, help us to see what you've got for us today. Each one of us is going through different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle, and we have different needs. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would meet each one of us right where we're at. Lord, and help us to take a step closer to you, a step forward in serving you better. And, Lord, that you would just meet the needs that we don't even know about, that I don't even know about. But, Lord, you do. So, Lord, let that come to pass. Bless our time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Being a good and faithful servant. So this whole series, we've been trying to go from servant to friend, uh, and that's great, but we've got to be a good and faithful servant first. So let's dig into what it means to be a good and faithful servant. What do we need to do for the Lord. How do we need to live our lives, our service to God? What does that look like? Now, what I don't want to talk about today is um, works versus grace for salvation. It's not what I'm talking about today. What I want to talk about is how do saved people live like good and faithful servants? Amen? So we're going we're gonna to assume saved people as people who have decided to follow Jesus. People who have accepted forgiveness of sins and their place in the family. And so how do those people be good and faithful servants? That's what we're looking at. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to uh, deal with any of that stuff. We're just trying to find out how do saved people live as good and faithful servants. Let me ask you this. Who wants to be a good and faithful servant to the Lord who died for you? Amen. I do. I want to be a good and faithful servant. I don't understand people whose goal is to not be a good and faithful servant. 
who say they believe in Jesus and they don't want to serve him. It doesn't make any sense to me. I can't wrap my mind around it. But I want to be a good and faithful servant. And I don't need a threat of hell to encourage me to be a good and faithful servant. I just want to be a good and faithful servant because our God is awesome. And that's what we should want. It only makes sense. So let's be good and faithful servants. Let's look into the parable of the talents. Understand that God has some expectations and see what's going on. So let's kind of work through this. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, the parable of the talents. Jesus is telling various parables. These are our stories or word pictures that help us form an analogy to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus talks in normal terms to help us kind of extrapolate into the things of God and the kingdom of God. So here's one of those parables in Matthew 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So, of course, the man going on a journey is Jesus. He came, he lived on this earth, then he was crucified, he rose again, and he ascended to the Father, and then lots and lots of time passed. And he's coming back. But it's been a couple thousand years, and I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be. It could be later this afternoon. I'm not really sure. Seems like everything is put together. But as far as I've looked back, it looks like most generations that I'm aware of were pretty sure Jesus was coming back in the next 15 minutes. And so we need to be prepared for the long haul as well. Amen? Be ready. If Jesus were to come today, have a clear conscience. If uh, it's going to be another thousand years, be prepared for that as well. But here's something that's incredible. Uh, Let me read this verse again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. The believer has been entrusted with the things of God. We are the ones holding the things of God in this world. And we are to do things with the things of God. God has entrusted the things of God with us, to us. The truths of salvation. The power of prayer. Many, many things of God have been entrusted to us and we use them through our lives in this world. What do we do with those things of God that we have been entrusted with? That's what we're talking about. So Jesus continues in the parable. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So a talent uh, was a measure of weight. It was the amount you could put in your backpack. And so it's about 70 pounds. So a talent is about 70 pounds. So five talents, about 350 pounds of money. So it's a chunk, right? I mean, that's a, it's, you know, load yourself up with as much money as you can carry. Make five trips. You know, that's a good chunk of money. So this wasn't just like, Here's 50 cents for you, here's a quarter for you, and here's a nickel for you. This was big chunks. Are the things of God we've been entrusted with very valuable? Oh, yes. Very valuable. Then he went on his journey. Now, I understand that God is with us every step of the way. Amen? 
but he's not as with us as he was with the 12. You know what I mean? He's not as with us as he will be when he comes in on the clouds. That's going to be different. He's going to be much, much more with us to a certain extent. Jesus is there. We're here and we're working and waiting for him to return. I'm not saying we don't walk with God day by day because we do. But to some extent, we're on our own as well. Amen. How do we do this when the boss isn't standing over our shoulder? How do we do this when he's gone on a journey? What do we do? So verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work. At once, he didn't leave the five talents and go get a job. He took the five talents and used the five talents. The things of God that you have been entrusted with, use those things. The first mistake I made as a believer was, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I had no idea. That's amazing. Let me go do some stuff for you. Have you ever done that where you just decide you're going to just go do some stuff for the Lord because of all the good things he's done for you? Well, what I missed was God had given me some things. I'm just supposed to use those things. Don't set them on the shelf and then go work on my own. If God gives you a wonderful testimony, use that testimony. If God gives you an ability to pray, use that ability. If God gives you a gift to do a particular thing, use that gift. If God shows you an important truth that changes the way you see things, share that truth. Use the things God has given you. He puts these five talents to work and he gains five more, doubles it. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. Fantastic stuff. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So he he dug a hole in the ground like buried treasure. Here's the story, or here's the moral with this. Don't bury the things that God has entrusted with you. Use those things. Burying them does not get anything done. Use those things. He dug a hole in the ground and hid what God had entrusted with him. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. You feel like Jesus has been gone a long time. Long time. And again, I'm convinced we are set up for the return of the Lord. Don't get bored with the idea that Jesus is coming back because the day will come. However, we need to be ready for a long time experience. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. So he gave the guy 350 pounds of money. He shows up with 700 pounds of money. Not too bad. That's like, now it's 10 trips of pouring out the coins. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. So this guy comes back with an extra 140 pounds of money. The other guy had 350 pounds. What's the response? His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What's the difference between the response to the one who gained the five talents versus the one who gained the two talents? What's the difference? Word for word, the same. Hallelujah for that. It's not about the bottom line. It's about the faithfulness. If you've been given something to work with and you faithfully work with that, you will get the same reward, the same response as one who was given amazing things to work with and was equally faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant is about your faithfulness, not about the big pile that you bring back. Now, if you start with a big pile, double the big pile. If you start with a little pile, double the little pile. It's about being faithful with what you have, not wanting what you don't have. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said... I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where I have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Did he steal the talent? Did he go spend it on something he wanted? He's got 70 pounds of money. I don't know what that would translate to, but I mean, 70 pounds. If it's silver, 70 pounds of silver coins, that's a lot. He didn't steal it. He brings it back, gives it to his master. The reason he didn't invest it, the reason he didn't use it is because he was afraid. Is fear a good reason to not put to work the things God has entrusted with us? Fear causes us to hold back. But fear does not make God want to give us a hug and say, oh, you're scared to use what I gave you. Doesn't make him do that. It makes him angry. Let's look at the next verse. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Would we consider fear wicked? Wicked. Why is this wicked? The reason it's wicked is because the things of God were entrusted to this person and they were those things of God were to do things in this world and those things didn't happen because the, the things of God were buried in the ground. And so there was great loss in the lives of various people because it didn't happen. Because things fell apart. It was a disaster. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now this guy's view of God is skewed. Thinks God is mean. He's worried that God will be angry. That God will hurt him if he messes up. So he's afraid to try. 
Let me tell you, if you honestly step out in faith to serve the Lord and you fall flat on your face and lose everything, God will honor that. He gives that person a hug. It's the one who buries the talent. That's the one that's in trouble. So step out and fail. Hallelujah. I've done it many times. It's not as bad as you might think. (laughs) At the end of the day, you get to say, well, Lord, I tried my best. Teach me something so I can not mess it all up in the future. And then you learn and grow over time. Hallelujah. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He's basically, you translate that into uh, today's world. At least, man, go to church, volunteer and tithe. At least just show up, man. Do something. You can do that. You you don't have to become a missionary to Zimbabwe, but show up for church and be an usher. Come on. You know, you should have put your money on deposit so I could have got it back with interest. Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10. A lot of people think Jesus is about everybody being treated equally. Jesus is about rewarding faithfulness and not rewarding unfaithfulness. And so when we're unfaithful, we can lose the little that we do have. Verse 29. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Which side of this verse do you want to fall on? (laughs) The abundant side or the taken from you side? I want to be on the abundant side. That means be faithful with what you have. If you have a little bit, be faithful with it and it will grow. If you have a little bit and you think, oh, that's not good enough and God's mean anyway, I'm just going to bury it. Then what you have will be taken. We want to live in abundance. So be faithful with what you have. Verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be, will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How are you feeling? Feeling good? Happy today? <laughs> Having a good morning? Praise God. You had a little weeping and gnashing of teeth in the sermon. But here's the deal. You know, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about serving the Lord effectively. But here's, here's the deal. We just want to be on the right side of this thing and things will be great. Abundance, things added to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come share your master's happiness. We have the ability just to simply walk in that and we don't even have to figure out what all this stuff is about, about this gnashing of teeth and everything. We don't want to have to try to find the line. Let's just serve the Lord effectively. Amen. Let's just do that. Then good things will come. <sighs> worthless. It's very harsh. Do you want to read some other harsh ones? <laughs> we'll read some harsh. We'll do that quick. And then we'll get into some uh, pitfalls and a little bit of troubleshooting with this serving the Lord business. Luke 17, seven through 10. This is Jesus again. He's been telling the disciples, you need to forgive people. And they're saying, increase our faith, because that's pretty tough. And he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, go throw yourself in the sea. And he's talking about that stuff. And then this is the, the finish of that conversation. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? They 
You got a servant out working in the field and the, the day is over and they come in, would you feed them? The hypothetical question should be answered in their culture with, no, of course not. Let's keep reading. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? You've been working all day in the field? That's great. Now cook me some food. Wait on me for a while. When I'm good and fed, had all my fill, then you can have a little time off and you can eat yourself. (laughs) After that, you may eat and drink. Verse 9. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Again, hypothetical question with the obvious answer, no. (laughs) Verse 10. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Whose life verse is that? You know, I mean... But here's the point. Jesus expects us to serve him and not expect a whole lot of parties to be thrown because this life is tough. And if you need a party to be thrown for you, just because you do what God asks you to do, you're going to end up on the wrong side of things. We just need to be diligent. We need to be faithful. We need to serve the Lord. You think Jesus is selfish in asking us to serve without needing to be thanked all the time. Look what he's done for us. There's no way we can outdo that, serving the Lord our whole life. There's no way. Now, last harsh one from Revelation 2, 10. Let me ask you this question. Do we need to be prepared to die for Jesus if necessary? The good and faithful servant, does that good and faithful servant need to die in certain circumstances? Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus here in the Revelation through John says to the church in Smyrna, you need to be faithful even if it kills you because persecution's coming. You may need to be a martyr. Get your heart ready for that <laughs> and be faithful through it. You are having a good day today, aren't you? This is some heavy stuff, right? I mean, God expects a lot from us to serve him. Why? So strong. Here's the bottom line. Because of the value of the things the believer has been entrusted with. Did you know you can pray for someone and it will go up into heaven and bring something back to earth? Did you know that? What if you just never prayed? The value of what you've been given is profound. Put it to work. Great things will happen. Let's look at some common misconceptions or pitfalls about serving the Lord. First one. Make sure you understand that we serve God through the church. We serve God 
as a lifestyle in our lives, we don't serve the church. Catching that? We serve God. We don't serve the church. We serve through the church and we serve just as a lifestyle. But if we think we're serving the church, oftentimes it will cause attitude problems. Because let me tell you, the church isn't worth it. Did the pastor just say serving the church isn't worth it? Yes, the pastor just said serving the church isn't worth it. Serving the Lord is worth it. And it's my job to make sure that the church is on task and that we're doing God things. My job is to keep the church kingdom minded, kingdom based, so that when we work together, we're doing kingdom things. Because you can get sideways energy, you can get backwards energy in churches, and you're no longer about kingdom things. That's my job. Let's be about the kingdom. We want to grab the kingdom. And don't, no stealing. We'll have to cover that one. (laughs) Don't take people's vehicles. But still going. Anybody got one of them buttons? There it is. Here's my, here's my theology of distraction. You know, everybody has to develop these various policies and procedures and theologies. If something's distracting to me, I should ignore it. If it's distracting to everyone, I should make a joke and then it'll be fine. <laughs> That's my theology of distraction in church services. All right. But understand, we need to serve the Lord, not serve the church. Because when we serve the church, it will eventually, our attitude will get bad because it's just simply not worth it. Serving the Lord is worth it. The church's job is to provide opportunities, training, and resources so we can serve the Lord together as a team. Many things that we do require a team. You know, missions, VBS, worship services, outreaches, church planting, prayer teams even. You know, these things require group effort. You know, we've got our New Vision Children's Home uh, sponsorship program. We've got like... Less than one kid left to sponsor. Can you imagine that? Good Hope Church is paying the bills of an orphanage in Jamaica. Hallelujah. We can make a difference when we work together. You know, that's, that's amazing. And we're developing farming activities so that they can be self-sufficient in the future. That's great. You can't do that by yourself. That takes a big group. It takes a big group to do that. So these jobs that we do need to be through the church for the Lord. And I will take on my responsibility to keep us on kingdom business, not off to the side. Second thing, boy, fruitful labor brings joy, but fruitless labor brings discouragement. Have you noticed that in your walk with God? That when what you're doing Produces a return, it's exciting and fun. When what you're doing is just a big waste of time or maybe even a drain, it's discouraging. Have you ever done anything and it was just a waste of time? Let me uh, work the theology quickly. But what about 1 Corinthians 15.58? I agree that sometimes we do things that are just a waste of time. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? 
That means that when we are serving the Lord, when we are laboring in the Lord, it's not in vain. It may seem like nothing's happening, but something's happening. However, Paul also wrote this to the Corinthians in chapter 11. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. So the labor they were doing in their meetings was actually not just neutral. It wasn't just buried. It was actually doing harm. Your meetings do more harm than good. Is that in vain? It's worse than in vain. So is that contradictory? I don't think so. Sometimes when we're trying to serve the Lord or we're involved in church things, we get side energy. We're doing things over here that have nothing to do with the kingdom. Or we can even have negative energy where we're pulling down the things of God and causing harm and damage. But so we we need to evaluate that and stay on kingdom business. It's that's the big trick. How do we stay on kingdom business? Instead of worrying about, oh, so-and-so thought this and that, you know, and you get off on all this mess. Stay on kingdom business. Then when we're on kingdom business, even when we feel discouraged, even when we feel like we're not having an effect, we're praying and praying and praying, we feel like we're not getting anywhere. Then you say, my labor is not in vain. And you trust God with it. Don't quit. Learn and get better. Third thing. You've got to get your life under control before you can help others effectively. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to pray here in just a minute. I'm going to bring them up as I'm finishing through here. You've got to get your life under control before you can help others effectively. We serve out of the overflow of what God has given us. The talents that he has given us, we use those. So if our life is a complete mess, we don't have anything to work with. If you have more, you get more. If you have just a little, it can be taken away. Now, helping other people does bring healing. Have you noticed that? You're in a broken season in life, and you can do something good for somebody else, and it it salves the inside of you. But you've got to be strong enough to help others and not crumble yourself, or it's not going to get very far. Your first ministry is to yourself. You've got to get your life under control before you can help others effectively. That's why our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, is in that order. Reach up, connect with God. Hallelujah. Keep that connection. Rise up. Let's get good at this. There's nothing more frustrating than being bad at Christianity. And then reach out. Now let's make a difference. Now I got something. I've received some talents from God. Now I can use those things. Abundant life brings an overflow of time, money, energy, and wisdom. And then we use those things. If you don't have a spare minute in the day, how are you going to serve the Lord? If you don't have a half a sec, a half a, a half a dollar. How, what are you going to do? We must walk in that abundance. So we have something to work with. Last point. Many hands make light work, but burnout is rampant. Unproductive service will cause burnout. You know, side energy, negative energy, that that will cause burnout, but so will abandonment. This is a group effort. That means if we all do our part, many hands make light work. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But if the people next to you drop away, then you've got to carry theirs too. And if you try to carry 50 peoples, you're going to be in real, real trouble. 
Again, with 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part is honored with it. Hallelujah for that. But understand, when we don't put our talent to use, it doesn't just affect us and God. It affects the person standing next to us who has to carry that load. Let's carry our load. Don't hang people out to dry who are trying to serve the Lord and let them get buried under the work. Step in, do your part, and then his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So, many people are afraid to serve the Lord for fear of the heavy load. But if we all step forward together, We'll have people near us to encourage us. We'll have people to share the load with us, to share the burden. And his yoke will be easy and his burden light. But if we step out alone, we'll be crushed. Let's step out together. As we pray now, I'm going to invite people up for personal prayer in just a minute. But let's pray together first and and ask the Lord, what do we need to take a step forward? Let's ask God for that. And then there are people here, there's something you know you need to do, and it's just hanging there. Don't bury your talent. Even if if you try and you fail, step out. It's okay. God will honor you and help you. Let's ask God for his strength to step into that thing that's hanging there that we know we're supposed to do. Let's pray, then I'll invite you up for individual personal prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But we also recognize that responsibility comes through that, that you don't look kindly on us when we just take the things you've entrusted to us and bury them. We've got to at least put them on deposit. We've got to at least give it a try, at least give it a shot. And so, Lord... Show us what we need to step forward, what we need to put into practice, what we need to see, what we need to understand. Give us some talents. Give us some things to work with. And Lord, for those things that are there that we know we need to do, give us the strength to step into it. Give us the strength to get right in the middle of the mess and trust you with it. So Lord, let us keep our eyes on the prize. And anticipate hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, let your peace be upon us. Lord, let your joy be in us. And let us know your love so fully that we have an overflow of love in our hearts to share with those who are hard to love. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.